Good evening and welcome to the NFL Draft. Tonight, we officially welcome the next generation of players. So if you're ready, are you ready? Let's get it started. The NFL Draft is officially open. Welcome inside the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. I am Trevor Sikama. With me is Benjamin Solak. Starting week two of our guest mock draft series here today. We've got the first 10 picks down. We're doing 10 more this week, including the weekend. We're giving you guys those weekend episodes. Hopefully you enjoy those. Nice little change of pace there. Let's talk about the players who were selected so far with those first 10 picks. So then we can get into the next pick, which is New York Giants, who are, who are up next here at 11. At number one. Trevor Lawrence went to the Jacksonville Jaguars. No surprise there. Zach Wilson went number two to the New York Jets. Also not really a surprise. Justin Fields went number three to the Niners. Uh, Trey Lance went number four to the Falcons. Jamar Chase, five to the Bengals. Kyle Pitts, six to the Dolphins. Jalen Waddell, seven to the Detroit Lions. Penny Sewell, eight to the Carolina Panthers. Then Awusu Koromoa to the Broncos at nine. And then Patrick Sertan to the Cowboys at number 10. Ben, as we... Get this second batch of guest mock draft picks underway. How are you, my friend? How was your weekend? Oh, everything is delicious. It's a full NFC East show. Oh, yeah, it is. As as it was preordained by On High, this is good content. It's just poorly managed football teams who are going to lose a lot of games next year, baby. Let's go. And one of them is? Nope, doesn't matter. It's the just The Philadelphia <laughs> Eagles. I am very excited about the two guests that we have. We have Patricia Trainer from Locked On Giants to talk about the New York team here at number 11. And then we have Shiel Kapadia from The Athletic to talk about the Eagles at number 12. So with that, let's get to our first guest. As we said before, we have on with us now Patricia Trainer, who is the host of Locked On Giants. Patricia, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, guys. How are you? We're doing great. Starting off this second round of guest mock draft picks, and we got an exciting one here with the New York Giants because they were a team that, I mean, I was going to say they're all over the news, but the Giants are always all over the news. It's a, it's a New York franchise, so we're always talking about the Giants. But last year, there was a lot to talk about with the hiring of Joe Judge, a special teams guy going from the Patriots straight to as a head coach of a major market team. I'd love to hear your thoughts on Joe Judge. I'd love to hear you know what you thought when he was announced as the hire, and then now, over a year later, looking back on what was his first year as head coach of the Giants. Well, when he was initially announced as a hire, I thought, okay, who is this guy? And, and moreover, remember, the Giants were coming off of Ben McAdoo and Pat Shermer. Right. So, you know, supposedly the third time is the charm. But, you know, there's also three strikes and you're out. So I guess because the Giants had been in such a poor state of affairs at the time, I thought, okay, how is this inexperienced head coach going to come in and turn things around? Does he have a clue? Or is he, you know, I, I guess I was expecting uh, Ben McAdoo-like vibes. Now, that said, the minute Joe Judge set foot in the door, and I'll, and I'll never forget this because this, this was one of the um, last things that the team was able to do, I think, before the Eli Manning retirement, and then we had the, uh, the COVID shutdown. Right. But I remember when he came in, he immediately came to a group of reporters. We were standing around by the entrance, and he shook everybody's hand, said, you know, introduced himself, and, um, you know, then he took to the podium, and 
just the way he spoke, he's, he's like, okay, you're all probably wondering who I am. He says, I'm going to tell you who I am and what I'm about. And you could just tell by listening to him that he had a plan, that he wasn't this, you know, a lot of coaches when they're first hired, they, they give you this rah-rah speech and you get all excited and, hey, let's run through a brick wall. Mm-hmm. This guy, there was something about him that just spoke very sincerely. And then, of course, he came in, um, you know, just little things that he did, like, for example, not acknowledging Daniel Jones by name or refusing to talk about any of the players, which I know some right. members of the media saw as a slight I didn't see it as a slide. I actually saw that as being smart because, you know, you haven't worked with these guys. You haven't coached these guys. So how are you going to comment on, on them, especially if they ran film in, under a different system? So just as the, as the weeks and the months went, went by, Judge struck me as a very sincere, very um, focused, uh, laser-like precision guy who knew what he wanted out of his team, who had a plan, which a lot of, you know, which unfortunately I don't think Ben McAdoo really had a plan when he came in here. Um, and Judge just, you know, the other thing that surprised me was that I thought he was going to be like Belichick or Saban, very, you know, with the personality. And it couldn't be further than the truth. I mean, he's always been very receptive to helping people out, you know, and, and that includes us in the media. I know I've spoken to him one-on-one a couple of times and we've had some great, you know, off the record conversations. So just a guy who I think, you know, runs that football team like a family, which is what it is. If you think about it, given all the amount of time they spend together and who tries to do what's in the best interest of, of the organization and of his players and coaches. I, I want to ask about not a position that the Giants have a need at, because that's what we usually do, but rather a position at which they, they don't, or at least they perceive that they don't. And it, it's quarterback. We, we have a team in Denver who was already picked who we know, uh, you know, might go quarterback because the Drew Locke first two year experience hasn't necessarily been rock steady. Washington football team all the way at 19, obviously their pick in that 2019 quarterback class not there with the team anymore. And so they're in need of a quarterback. You have the giants who took Daniel Jones, the second quarterback off that board at six. He's been a two year starter. And I don't think we've seen anything from Jones. That's been top shelf. Maybe we haven't seen anything from Jones. That's really been bottom shelf either. And he's, he's still, I think not the player that you want. If if you're going to be a playoff competing team at quarterback. And so why isn't there, a conversation for the Giants being a quarterback interested team in this draft. It seems like that doesn't get brought up. So I want to know what is it about the internal evaluation of Jones that has them so confident that he can become a guy who can take them to a playoff game and win a playoff game. I think the best way I can describe it is, is that Daniel Jones is kind of in a purgatory state. At least he was as of last year. He came in. All right. If you look at most teams and how they, they build up for a franchise quarterback, what do they do? They put an offensive line together. They put a, put some skill players together, and then they bring the quarterback in, and they kind of make it as easy as possible for the quarterback. Daniel Jones came in, and the Giants didn't have an offensive line. You know, they had Saquon Barkley. Okay, great. Um, but they really didn't have any stud receivers or playmakers. They've been trying to get the most out of Evan Ingram for God knows how long now. Hasn't worked out. You know, right. the receiver core, who on the receiver core, you know, as of last year, was going to really scare anybody. So Jones was kind of in a little bit of a purgatory in that he not only had to learn a new system under Jason Garrett, which varied from the system he learned 
with Pat Shermer, which varied a little bit from what he ran at Duke. He now had to do it behind an offensive line that was trying to come together and really with no number one receiver. So the Giants feel that, okay, he showed progress. You know, he got a little bit better as the season went on with turnovers. You know, his toughness was there, obviously. Um, They found that they could use him as a runner with success. So they said to themselves, you know, look, let's continue adding to the offensive line and get that group up to snuff. Let's add a legitimate number one receiver, a guy who's a big target, which if you think about it, Eli Manning had Plaxico Burris. He had Amani Toomer. Okay. So he was kind of spoiled coming in as a young um, quarterback at the time. Daniel Jones didn't have that, you know? So um, they, they figure, okay, let's bring in these playmakers. They brought in Kyle Rudolph, who I think still has some football left in him. And let's see now, because right now they set, set things up to where, okay, Daniel Jones is entering year two of the system. He's got no more excuses. If he falls on his face, then I think you're going to see this team get, get into the uh, quarterback discussion next year but right now optimism is running high and the giants feel good about based on what daniel showed last year as the season went on combined with the fact that the offensive line they feel good about and also that they've added these playmakers to help daniel when i'm looking at the giants draft history and i know going back too far doesn't make a lot of sense because it was before Dave Gettleman, their general manager, was even there. But I look at the last 10 years of their drafts, and they haven't drafted a defensive player with their first overall selection since Eli Apple in 2016. And and we kind of know that they really wanted Leonard Floyd or even Jack Conklin in that regard. So that when they were off the board, they took Eli Apple. But before then, it was all the way down to Prince of Mukamara in 2011. Now, that's not totally true or that's leaving out some context because of course two years ago in 2019 they also drafted Dexter Lawrence and DeAndre Baker in the first round but I say that to say it seems as though the Giants just naturally lean towards offensive players even in the Dave Gettleman era with their first overall selections in the draft do you when you look at this defense does that lend itself to it being the same thing are there a lot of holes in the defense that you really think that they could address here at pick number 11? Well, I'll give you some more uh, history. We'll go back a little bit further. Okay. The last time they drafted an edge rusher in the first round, 2010, Jason Pierre-Paul. Wow. Before that, the last time they drafted an edge rusher in the second round, a day two pick, was Clint Sintum in 2009. So I mentioned that because I think the one glaring need that they have on defense is they don't have a stud pass rusher. They have a bunch of guys who have the ability to do it, but who for whatever reason have not shown the ability to do it. They have Lorenzo Carter who last year before he, he ruptured his Achilles tendon was coming on. um, But you know, not a guy who, again, up until his injury was scaring anybody. They have O'Shane Zimenez, who's a third round pick. A lot of people compare him to an OCU Manura, but that kid still got a master playing the run a little bit better than what he has. They just signed at um, a young man from the Vikings, Ifieti Odenikbo. I hope I said that right. Um, who w- moved around a little bit, you know, he didn't have much success inside, but when they moved him back outside, they being the Vikings, then he had something like nine and a half sacks over the last two years. So they really haven't had a stud pass rusher. And they haven't really drafted a stud pass rusher in the first two days of the draft. And and I just find that, you know, 
amazing when you think about it, the last time that they did so was back in 2010, almost, you know, over 11 years ago. Besides Edge, then, uh, you know, you talked about the plan for Joe Judge at the top. Besides Edge, you said it's the one big hole on the defense. I look at this roster. I agree with you. It, it, let's say we get Edge short up. Let's say it's an Edge pick at 11. We obviously don't know who you're picking yet. Uh, they make that pick. He's great as a rookie. Carter comes back healthy, and they're, they're, they're good there. Is the model here that this defense is going to win them games? Is that going to, like, I don't know, they had the big signing on Kenny Galladay, and they're probably going to continue to look at that offensive line. So it's not like they're only investing in defense. But when the Giants won last year, I go and I think back to that Seattle game, it was with the defense. And so is the, the model going to be that Seattle game? We're going to finish building this defense. We're going to win low-scoring games. We're going to get Barkley back healthy. We're going to grind out the clock. And that old-school-style football approach, is that going to be what Joe Judge's week-to-week plan is to get the Giants to a winning record well I think that's a fallback plan but obviously I'm pretty sure that the Giants weren't happy that they were the 31st ranked scoring offense last year I mean that was just embarrassing if you're a football team I mean they weren't that much better than the Jets and we all know the Jets had some real legitimate issues on their offense so to answer your question you know when you look at what Patrick Graham the defensive coordinator did for that Giants defense how he put it together and remember they had a lot of new faces last year I mean that was pretty impressive if you think about it. I mean, I I was really, really impressed with what he did. I think they finished in the top half of the league in sacks. They had something like 40, if I'm not mistaken, that despite not having a legitimate edge rusher. Now they had some issues in the back end with the second cornerback, which was a, uh, a revolving door. If you remember correctly, they have shored that up. You know, I think they could probably, you know, they need to figure out what they're going to do with linebacker in addition to, you know, Blake Martinez, who's a, who's a lock. And then they need to see who's going to replace Dalvin Tomlinson snaps. They have a, a rotation I think they're going to go with. So the Giants defense, I think, is a lot further along and able to really, you know, compete and hold the score down, which which they did a good job of, by the way. Um, but they just, you know, you can't rely on them every week. And the reason for that is, is what if you have injuries? What if something happens? At some point, you've got to say, okay, offense, the defense is doing their part. You've got to step up and do your part. When we look at this pick here at number 11, and this will be the last question for me, you, you mentioned that this was one of the lower scoring teams in the NFL last year. They go out in free agency and they make a pretty decent splash, right? They bring in Kenny Galladay. They won the Kenny Galladay sweepstakes, which seemed to be mysterious and took a little bit longer than we thought. They bring in John Ross, which, okay, yeah, he hasn't had a great start to his career, but high draft pick, bring him in, almost taking a flyer on him. They bring in Kyle Rudolph. They still have Evan Ingram, still have uh, Darius Slayton, Sterling Shepard, have Dante Pettis. You know, you're getting Saquon Barkley back, hopefully for a full year of being healthy. My question to you is, did they do enough? Because I think there's a reality that could very well exist where, say, a Jalen Waddle or a Devontae Smith could make it to their pick at number 11, and they might be staring at them on the board. But do you believe that the Giants have done enough to where... They don't think they have to take an offensive weapon, even though the scoring averages were so low last year. Well, you know, there's two ways to look at that. You know, you you could probably never have enough receivers in this league. You know, just like people say you could never have enough cornerbacks or enough pass rushers. Right. It is a passing league. So do I expect the Giants to take a receiver in this draft? That would not surprise me. 
Do I think it's going to be in the first round? That might surprise me. It really depends on how the board falls. Um, I look at the needs on offense and, you know, I would, I think if you had asked me this before free agency, I would have said, oh, for sure, it's going to be, you know, a receiver. It's going to be either Devonta Smith or Jalen Waddle, whichever one of those two is going to be there, because I don't think Jamar Chase is going to make it down to them. And I don't think Kyle Pitts is going to make it down to them. Now, I think that maybe if I'm the Giants, okay, you've looking at it down the line, you have Galladay is your number one, and he signed for what three or four years. Then you have uh, Darius Slayton and Sterling Shepard, both under contract for at least another two years. Okay, so uh, Shepard's going to be your slot guy. Slayton's going to be one of your outside guys, and then John Ross is going to compete with Dante Pettis. So you probably have a number four receiver. If you draft a receiver at at number eleven. Where does he fit in? Because, you know, that's a guy, obviously, you want to get on the field right away. And, you know, again, you can never have too many receivers and you have to also allow for injuries and whatnot. But I don't know that it would be the best use of number 11, that they would get the best value at number 11 if they go receiver, given what they did in free agency. All right. So with that considered there, you've got the the edge we talked about, the wide receiver we talked about, other needs. I want to know, Patricia, if you were calling the shots here at 11, New York Giants, as the board fell to you, who would be your pick for New York and why? Rashawn Slater, offensive lineman, Northwestern. Nice. Yes. All right. So here's my thinking on this. The Giants added depth on the offensive line in free agency. They added Jonathan Harrison, who's a center guard, and uh, Zach Fulton, who I believe is a guard tackle. He was with the Texans last year. That said, I still have questions as to what that offensive line configuration is going to look like, all right? So the only two spots I see as being set are left tackle with Andrew Thomas and center with Nick Gates. At left guard, I think you're going to see a competition between Will Hernandez and with um, Shane Lemieux. Now, now everybody seems to think, okay, the loser of that competition will play right guard. Well, flipping over to the right side or for, from the left side and vice versa, it's not as easy as a lot of people think it is. It's not just a matter of, okay, I'm going to move over and I'm going to play at the same high level that I played at left guard or, or on the right side or wherever you originally came from. Then at right tackle, the expectation is that Matt Pert, who was their third round pick last year, will be the starter, although he's going to compete with Nate Solder, who is coming back. My guess is, is that Pert is the guy who's going to you know, end up winning that because, look, you got to start thinking long term here. And if he doesn't win that competition, something's wrong. So now you say to yourself, OK, what do you do at right guard? Well, yeah, they signed Zach Fulton as a backup, you know, as a backup plan. But to me, you get Rashawn Slater, who, depending on who you listen to, who you believe, he can play either guard or he can play tackle. And I believe he played on the right side in college. So now you've got a potential solution should you don't have an answer for right guard or if in the event you don't have an answer for right tackle, you've now secured one of those two spots. So I think that's what the Giants might be thinking of. I don't know that for a fact. That would just be, you know, based on the free agent moves that they made and also considering the depth issue, you know, the draft, as you know, you build for the future. 
So you've got Hernandez entering the final year of his deal. You've got Fulton, who's in on a one-year deal. Harrison's in on a one-year deal. Nate Solder, we did his contract where he's on a one-year deal. You're going to lose a lot of depth after this year. So to me, it just makes sense. Bring in another offensive lineman. And this is, this is something the Giants were very guilty of not doing earlier in in the the last decade they just they bled the last drop of blood out of that great line that they had from 2007 to 2010 and they didn't start to really rebuild that line until 2013 in the meantime they had no talent in the pipeline and they had to kind of wing it don't make that mistake again get talent get it developed even if you know they you have to sit a guy or two for you know for a little bit get the guys in the building start developing them and don't leave Daniel Jones with, with, um, you know, a a Swiss cheese offensive line, because at that point, if you do that, it's not going to matter who his receivers are. It's not going to matter who his running back is. He's not going to be able to do anything if the protection isn't there. And if that line isn't doing its job and opening up holes. And your track record of picking the giants first round selection is pretty good the last couple of years, right? Uh, yeah, you could say that. <laughs> you were telling us before the podcast. I'll yeah. give you. I'll give you the room to brag about okay. it here. I don't like to brag, but um, well, I mean, look. To t- to be fair, Dave Gettleman. You know, if you listen to him in his pre-draft pressers, that's really where I I kind of get the clues. Although with the Saquon Barkley pick, I think everybody knew that as of February. You know, at the right, combine, sure. because you know Dave Gettleman made no attempt to hide his his you know infatuation for Saquon Barkley. But yeah, I think the only pick I I didn't quite hit on the head and and it's Daniel Jones. And it's funny because I said, Daniel Jones at 17, not at six. So I was in the right round. Get her off the show. She doesn't know what she's talking about. (laughs) Not good enough. Yeah. I mean, that that was the only one I, but, but last year I nailed Andrew Thomas because I I forget again, something Dave Gettleman said that, you know, I I remember getting off the call and saying, it's going to be Andrew Thomas. And, you know, I told a friend of mine, you know, one of my colleagues, I said, it's going to be Andrew Thomas. And I, I just I remember doing a bunch of mock drafts for various places and I, I boom Andrew Thomas and everybody's like wow you you seem certain I said I'm pretty certain that's going to be the pick and of course he was and you know so there's that <laughs> she's got a great track record that's that and and so much more is why you should follow her on Twitter at Patricia underscore Trana she is the host of Locked On Giants covering the New York Giants wall to wall in every way and very accurately as we have now. Uh, been able to brag about Patricia. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, guys. Rayshon Slater off the board, number 11 to the New York Giants. We got the Philadelphia Eagles coming up after the break. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but NBA, the MLB, the NHL, it's all in full swing. They even cover the award shows, the TV shows, the reality TV. You can put your money on anything that you're binge watching right now. Anything that you know really well. BetOnline's got you. Head over to their website or use their mobile device to sign up today. Receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit if you use the promo code LOCKEDON, all caps, one word, LOCKEDON, when you sign up. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Get all of the sports news that you need in just under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.
That all brings us up to number 12 in the draft, where the Philadelphia Eagles are currently selecting. They weren't always selecting at number 12, originally at number 6. Made a deal with the Dolphins post-49ers trade to get all the way back to 12. And boy, do we have a treat for you guys. We are recording this podcast with someone who... I'm just going to say it, kind of dropped the bomb on Eagles Nation on the sports football world with an article that they put out earlier this week. We are joined by Shil Kapadia from The Athletic. He does incredible work, not just covering the Philadelphia Eagles, but the NFL as a whole. Shil, I appreciate you joining us, man. What's up, guys? Thanks for having me. So the bomb that I talked about is an article that I, I've got to ask you about with the first question. And we're only doing, you know, a little 15, 20-minute interview here, so we can't get into all the details. I would encourage everybody to go read the work. But, man, you talked about the behind-the-scenes of the Philadelphia Eagles with their owner, their general manager, their, their coaching situation, their scouting situation, everything that's been going on with analytics. And all of that is so fascinating to us here on the draft side because we watch players and we go, hey, this guy is a good football player. You should draft him. And it's sometimes just not that simple. And it's because there are all of these people and personalities and egos and and ways to go about things that I think happen behind the scenes that you and your coworkers at The Athletic did an incredible job painting this picture, peeling behind the curtain a little bit. So my first question to you is just, man, how did this really happen? Just kind of in your own words and what you guys wrote how did the Eagles go from being on top of the football world just three, four years ago to where they are right now? Yeah, you, you know, it's interesting because there are a few different answers to that. I mean, really, the most simple would be, well, you know, if Carson Wentz was a mediocre quarterback last year, <laughs> we're not having any of these conversations. Sure. And so it, it, it just further mm-hmm. illustrates that when you have an answer at quarterback, it can paint over a lot of the issues. Now, having having said that, the article we we wrote, it, you know, I think if people read it, it does outline sort of the issues in culture and in process and lack of transparency. And, and I think one of the big takeaways is that not every GM job is created equal. And this certainly pertains to uh, the draft, obviously, but there are GM jobs out there where it is all about personnel picking the right players, you know, that is your primary job. That's not the the function of that role with the Eagles. You know, Howie Roseman is expected to be a person who collaborates, who brings together analytics, scouting, coaching, the owner's opinion, Jeffrey Lurie, his own opinion. His job is to put that all together and make final decisions for the organization. Now, the issue is that uh, people don't know whose voice is being heard, whose voice is not being heard. There's a lack of transparency. And obviously, when you look at their decisions in the last three years since the Super Bowl, uh, a lot of those, you know, a lot of room there to second guess those decisions. So that that's kind of where this article came from. And that's sort of the state of the organization right now. So uh- I'm interested, Shield, because a lot of times when we have like new head coaches come in, uh, there's there's a change in a, in any sort of brass in a team. We expect maybe their draft priorities to shift a little bit. Eagles get a new coaching staff. It's a collaborative process, but it's tough to figure out exactly how they're making each decision. So we look at a team that traded back from six to twelve. They've got big time needs at wide receiver. They got big time needs at corner, but they have historically prioritized both the offensive and the defensive lines, where they could have a needed tackle and they could have a needed edge. And so I think there's a a big like best player available 
best maybe value available for the Eagles versus these big needs at wide receiver and cornerback. There's a debate going on in Eagles Twitter. So for, from your perspective, knowing that Harry Roseman's still in place, knowing that Jeffrey Lurie is still pushing collaboration and you have this new philosophy from a new coaching staff, where does where do you fall on that scale? Do you think it's going to be, you know what, they're wide receiver and corner heavy. They know these positions are in dire need. Or do you think guys like Quiddy Pay and Rashawn Slater are going to be in the conversation when the Eagles get on the board at 12? Uh, I think it should be best player available. And I, I would expect that, you know, like you said, to a degree, as we know, positional value does matter. And we know that it matters specifically with this organization. So, you know, if there were a defensive lineman, an edge rusher who was available at 12 who they loved who they scouted who the board said this is the best player that would not shock me now given sort of the strengths and weaknesses of this draft and who I think will be available there I don't think that's going to be the case and the same would go for offensive tackle and so um, uh, again I'm not ruling out those positions I I think there would be a chance if there was a player who they really liked there I don't think they would say all right we don't need a player at those positions because that's just not the state of the roster right now I mean this is a a retooling a rebuild whatever whatever you want to call it. There are a lot of old starters still on this team right now. And so the guys who are going to be starting week one of 2021 are not necessarily long-term solutions at a lot of those positions. So uh, I I would probably lean a little bit more towards the most likely outcome being a wide receiver or cornerback, but I do think that they should not be prioritizing position really uh, for the most part in any case at number 12. I'd like to take it back a little bit to last year's draft, because I think that you know, you giving your perspective and the things that you know about the Jalen Hurts pick, I mean, might help kind of predict who might really be in control and which way the Eagles might sway when it comes to the rest of this draft. When the Hurts pick happened last year, how surprised were you guys, basically? Because, you know, we, we talked about it being an extremely early pick for what you said. If Carson Wentz was even just a mediocre quarterback this past year, then they don't have this giant whirlwind that goes along with it. But I feel like Jalen Hurts' presence in the organization even just compiled against him in that regard to kind of spiral things out of control. And so I'd love to just, you know, have you take us back to when that pick was made and now a year after knowing how it was made, who was really making the call. Maybe if there was a rift between people not wanting it to happen, people ultimately wanting to get Jalen Hurts on the team, take us back to when that that began. Yeah, I was stunned. And the reason I was stunned was because I look at it when you're picking that high in the draft, uh, you need to have upside with the player. And this was this was a question I asked Howie Roseman on draft night last yep. year. I, I said, I said, what's the best case scenario for this Jalen Hurts pick? And he had trouble answering it. And because, you know, barring sort of something completely unforeseen, the reason they made that pick really was just because they thought Jalen Hurts could be a low cost backup. Uh, and if he has to come in and play a few games, maybe he plays well, maybe you can flip him. And, you know, talking about surprise and shock, by the way, that was not just me. That's not just uh, Ben. That That is members of the organization saw that pick and they were, they, they were very surprised that that was the pick. And so who made that pick? I mean, that's Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie. You know, that one, uh, I, I think it's fair to say that those were the people driving that pick. They want to be sort of a quarterback-centric organization, which it, which is all well and good. But at the same time, uh, I think that was certainly a case of overthinking it, um, not having a sound process going into the draft, and sort of just deciding that this is the player we're going to go with. I, I mean, I think Doug Peterson, like Jalen Hurts, has a prospect, but Doug Peterson was not there saying, hey, let, let's go take him in the second round. 
Yeah, I, I chuckled when Trev initially asked the question because I was sitting in my living room in my pajamas cheering when you asked that question. I remember it distinctly. I remember I'll never when you're <laughs> the value of a play like this is there's a cheap rookie the next four years. And if Carson's gonna start, I was like, yes, Shield, thank you, please. <laughs> you and Les Bowen were my heroes that night. Okay. That's just a good memory. It's a little um, disturbing, Ben. You and your pajamas <laughs> cheering me on. Yeah, I don't know. Sure. I mean, I know you guys like to open up here, but <laughs> I was so stoned. <laughs> like that's such a good question. Thank you. Okay. Anyway, uh so I'm curious about the leash for Howie Roseman then, because I think there was a, uh, a hope for some Eagles fans that this might be Roseman's uh, last year, maybe controlling the draft, let alone holding the position. Uh, he obviously survives another head coaching firing uh, the politics of the Eagles front office. And like you said, Roseman's unique role was a collaborator. It kind of makes this a difficult thing to prognosticate, but as we all very well know, Roseman has not drafted a pro bowler in quite some time. And the last pro bowler he drafted just got traded to Indianapolis. Uh, they were unable to get Carson Wentz back to that level, and now he's gone. And so if you don't bring in good young talent as a general manager, whether you're a, a collaborator or whether you're a, a scout background or whatever, eventually the buck stops with you. So the Eagles are approaching a draft. Like you said, this is a very old team that needs young talent. If they swing and miss again, with, with, you know, a, a first round pick in Jalen Rager, who wasn't able to shine as a rookie, a third round pick in Davian Taylor, who didn't contribute in year one. If they swing and miss again like that, is Roseman near the end of the leash? Or are we just going to continue trying to, to, to get this treadmill going and, and be stuck in the mud a little bit? Yeah, I think I think that's obviously, as you know, the question Eagles fans have asked, um, you know, nonstop, really, uh, certainly since the end of last season. Here's my understanding from the people we talked to for this story. They, they think that Jeffrey Lurie needs a right hand man who he is absolutely comfortable with. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean who is the best person for the job, if you kind mm -hmm, of see yeah. the, the difference there. You know, he wants somebody who's certainly going to listen to him, who's going to be collaborative, but but someone who he is comfortable with. And so the ways in which Howie Roseman uh, could no longer be, uh, you know, the GM of this organization, there are a few things. One would be if he senses the end is near, you know, I, I think people in that article described him as a survivor. If he senses that his senses that his job is in jeopardy, some people were speculating, you know, he would kind of get out before uh, he would even have a chance right. to be fired. It's kind of like when you know someone's going to break up with you and you know you go ahead <laughs> and uh and do it first. So that's one Power move. Two, two is that yeah, two is that if Jeffrey Lurie uh has someone else in the organization who is comfortable being that primary voice. Now that could be a head coach, right? When Andy Reid was there, it, it was Andy Reid. If he trusts trust the head coach to kind of be that voice and be the final decision maker, then that would be something. Uh, and we saw it with Chip Kelly too, you know, for mm -hmm. one season, for a couple seasons, at least that he's willing to give the head coach that power if he trusts the head coach or if he thinks the head coach warrants it. So that's number two. And then the third thing is that if he has someone else within the organization, who's kind of being groomed, who's in the, who's in the building, who he likes, who he feels like could really flourish in that role, that I think would be the other situation where he would say, okay, uh, we've mm -hmm. given it a long run with Howie Roseman, but we're going to move on. I know I'm comfortable with this person. So the bottom line is I don't think he would just fire Howie Roseman and say, all right, we're going to do a GM search and bring in candidates who I don't know. You know, maybe there's someone in another organization right now who he's worked with before, who has been with the Eagles, who he thinks, wow, that person would be good in this role. But those are kind of the scenarios where I think they would move on from Howie Roseman.
Well, we'll get to at least one more question to talk about the overall roster and some needs after this. But I had to ask you again because you've got such great inside information behind the curtain, if you will. Now that this is a new coaching staff, are we? Because we know that you know in the story that you guys wrote, it talked about how Roseman and and a lot of the people in the organization are much more analytic driven, and there was a big riff that was between them and the coaching staff, especially when it came to setting up the draft board and who they were going to prioritize. And, you know, that was when Peterson's guys, Peterson's coaches were in there, and it seemed like they were fighting back on that a lot. Now that it's a new coaching staff, I'm sure that that was a main component of who they were bringing in now with Sirianni. And so my question is, is there going to be any pushback at all now? Or are we going to see a analytics-driven big board here for the Eagles, not just in the first round, but throughout the draft, where maybe there wasn't really any change at all. Maybe Doug Peterson wasn't happy about the guys that they were drafting, but from your from what you might be able to tell us, he didn't really have much input. So is there going to be a lot of change, and is it going to be very analytics-driven? Uh, I don't think the coaching staff is going to have much of a say at all, and especially this year. I mean, I'm sure they've had conversations about, hey, what you know, what's our scheme going to look like? What types of players do we want? Those things. But um, you know, I would be surprised if they had a lot of influence in this draft. Uh, you know, that just hasn't been the case in previous years, and there's really no uh, reason to believe that that would change. Now, in terms of analytics driven, it's funny because you know I, there are picks. I think I think one of the issues is that people in the organization they look at certain picks and they say, okay. Oh, okay, that was a Howie pick. That was a Lurie pick. That was an analytics pick. That was a personnel pick. Right. And so it's not like every pick, it, you know, you, we could point to picks in the last few years and say, there's no really, there's not really an analytics case for this, uh, for this pick. I mean, I remember when they drafted Clayton Thorson in what was that the fifth round a couple yep. years ago, and I'm losing my mind going, there's no case for like no analytics staff would have this guy on their board, even though it's the third round and you're dart throwing at that point, no analytics staff would approve of this pick. So <laughs> I, I don't think it's necessarily like it's all analytics driven. I think that's a component of it. I think the the owner certainly wants that to be a part of it. But I think the big issue is that the process, there's no consistency with the process. It's, it's like every pick kind of comes down to um, something different and ultimately what the GM, uh, what decision the GM wants to make. Oh, they're so bad at drafting shield. Okay. Uh, let, let, let me ask, this is the, the best way to ask about roster and team needs when it comes to the Eagles. Uh, there's no doubt they need a lot. Uh, wide receiver is clear. Corner is clear. Uh, we mentioned offensive line, defensive line, uh, the needed tackle, the needed edge. Where to you is this roster strong? Where are they not going to invest? Where are they going to be happy with the guys that they've got? If there's an, if there's a, a position group that you can circle where you say, you know what, they've got the necessary starters, the necessary young guys, they're going to be fine here. Can we cross any position off the board for the Eagles upcoming 2021 draft? Well, uh, I mean, long-term, you really can't. I mean, I guess you could do running back, right? My, Miles Sanders is right. relatively There's people young. who like want to spend a round three pick on Michael Carter. And I'm like, guys, this yeah. is such a bad roster. Yeah, I don't think that's necessary. I mean, in the short term, actually, for 2021, I don't think they're bad on the lines of scrimmage. You know, I think if you get some better injury luck, now those guys are older, but if you get some better injury luck than last year, combined with the players who played last year, they had some young offensive linemen who were at least okay. So, you know, I would look at it and say, like, offensive line, 
line coach, Jeff Stoutland, I, I think has done a pretty good job of kind of taking whatever talent he has and maximizing it. Now, mm-hmm. having said that, I don't think you ever want to turn away offensive tack tackle talent. If it's um, if it, if it's the way your draft board falls. And I guess the other one you could potentially point to is, you know, defensive line. Um, you have Fletcher Cox again, getting older, but certainly has years left. Javon Hargrave, you just paid him $13 million a year. Uh, last off season, Josh Sweat played well last year on the edge. Derek Barnett is going to be on the, on the fifth year option. So internally you would have a sense of whether you want to keep him or not. So you, you have some young talent there, but again, I mean, I keep coming back to it. Like if I saw an edge rusher who I said, this guy's amazing. He's at the top of our board. He checks all of our boxes at number 12. Like that talent on the roster would not prevent me from taking him. So let's put you on the clock here. You know, you're, you're not part of Howie Roseman camp, Jeff Lurie's camp, the coaching staff camp. This is you. This is you making the pick as the board has fallen here in this guest mock draft series. So if this is the case, the 11 picks down, these are the guys you have available. Sheil, who would you be selecting for the Philadelphia Eagles here at number 12? Well, first, I mean, I don't know why you guys had me on. I thought, is this just so that I can make a pick and then Ben can make fun of me with his, uh, you know, he's got the Eagles perspective. I thought he was just going to be uh, making uh, it's, it's a It's a case of being too close to it. You know okay. what I mean? Like, All it's right. good. No, like you that. you talk to the people. You understand it. Whereas ben, I'm like, they can do this. They can do that. They can do this. Yeah, Ben, ben makes too many mock draft picks on this show, I would say. Gotcha. It's it's kind of like Jim Schwartz is an emotional blitzer. Uh, Ben's emotions <laughs> very much like get, that. Get, okay. All right. I, you know, given the names that you guys laid out that were already taken, uh, I settled on Devonte Smith. You know, I, I look at it, and as I w- have been doing my own mock drafts, I feel like there's a pretty good chance that one of three players uh, is going to be available: Devonte Smith, uh, Jalen Waddle, and Patrick Sertan. Th- those are the three guys who I look at and say, you know what? If I feel like one of those guys is going to fall to twelve, and if mm-hmm. one of those guys falls to 12 I think it would be a fine pick so I went with Smith I you know I, I know people will uh, uh, nitpick his game and you guys will have a better knowledge of it overall and can offer your takes better than I can but that's just to me one of those like don't overthink it right I mean he's played against uh, great competition yeah, I know the weight thing but he's been durable uh, the last couple of years to production is through the roof I love the competitiveness you know I look at it and say look at his personality and kind of the way he's worked in college where I just feel good that you're going to maximize his talent. Like it's not going to be a case where you're going to look at it and say he hasn't maximized his talent. Now people can disagree about what that ceiling is. Uh, I think the ceiling is pretty high. I think he can uh, work in, mm-hmm. in different spots there for you on the outside and in the slot. He catches everything. I love his instincts. I love his sideline acrobatics. I love his production. And I know they scheme stuff up for him at Alabama, but come on, like, you know, your coaching staff has to scheme stuff up sure, for players right. too. Um, so it's like, you know, I, I can't just look at that. So that to me is a don't overthink it. Get a player with, I think has a high floor, has a high ceiling. I love the personality, the competitiveness. I love what he adds to your team in that respect. And so to me, you know, to be honest, when you, when you sent me the 11 guys who were taken, it was not a tough decision. Like I had him as clear, clear in, in a way, uh, the guy I would take at number 12 there, given who was on the board. Yeah. Saying he schemes up touches. Well, no crap. He won the Heisman. Of course you can right. scheme up the touches for <laughs> That's the guy. your job. The coaches have to do something. I'm sorry. You know, all right. <laughs> All right. All right, Ben. What'd you think? What do you think of the Devontae Smith pick? So I love it. I'm curious for Shield, like the he the weight is going to take him off of some teams' boards, especially those teams who use numbers to try to try to avoid picking outliers. So from what you want to understand, you know, because I've suggested that he's not going to be on the Eagles board outright. 
Do you think that's the case? Or do you think he's going to still be on there because the, the coaching staff or Laurie or somebody will bang the table for him? It's a great point based on what we just said, right? Like right. This, this very well could be a, sca- a case where scouting a personnel is saying, dude, they, trust me, this guy yeah, he's is going to make it. <laughs> we've talked to people from Alabama. We've watched the film and, you know, e- even the coaching staff, you couldn't, couldn't you just see them say, oh, this is a great guy to add to our roster as we begin. And then you could see the analytics staff saying, you know what? There aren't a lot of examples of 170 pound wide receivers get taken in the first round and really have a high ceiling. So it could be attested that. I mean, to me, I, you know, I usually am on the side of like, you know, stay away from the outliers. And, and it is, you know, this is a case where the person in charge has to be a good collaborator and say, all right, I'm going to take all this information. It's all valid and make a decision. But to me, it's like, it's not a surprise. You have to take it into account. If he had like a long injury history, if he had played in a different conference, if he had been disappearing in big games against the highest competition, then I would say, okay, look at it. It, it is valid, but man, he just checks all those boxes boxes in a way where right. if ever there were a case to say, forget about it. it yeah. You know, we know he's an outlier, but these are the reasons why he can succeed. Like those are all there with Devonte Smith. Here we go. Devonte Smith going number 12 overall to the Philadelphia Eagles in this guest mock draft. Everybody, please go follow Shield on Twitter at S H E I L. I had to spell it out just so you guys have absolutely no excuse because he does an incredible job covering not just the Philadelphia Eagles, but all the teams in the NFL for the athletic. Go read his latest piece. It's an incredible look behind the scenes of what's going on inside an NFL organization. And we just don't, we, we talk about all the stuff that we watch on game film and how we evaluate these, these players and everything like that. But when it comes to the process of actually how they are picked, this stuff is gold. Shield, thank you so much for joining us here on this guest mock draft. Thanks for having me, guys. Take care. Rayshon Slater to the New York Giants and now Devontae Smith to the Philadelphia Eagles here in the guest mock draft series. Before we get out of here, got to remind the good people about rockauto.com. It's a family-owned business serving auto parts to customers online for over 20 years. They make things super easy, whether it's a fix or an upgrade. rockauto.com, they've got you covered. Their, their prices are reliably low. It's the same for professionals as it is do-it-yourselfers. No reason to spend up to twice as much for the same auto parts. Again, no matter what you're looking for, check out everything that they have available for your car or truck. Their catalog is super easy to navigate. Just head over to the website. You can see everything on the left-hand side. Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts that they've got available for your car or truck. And write Locked On in their little How Did You Hear About a section so they know that we sent you that way. They've got an amazing selection. Always, always reliably low prices. And all the car parts that you were ever going to need over at rockauto.com. Picks 11 and 12 in the books. Now we got 13 and 14 coming up next. The Los Angeles Chargers and the Minnesota Vikings. We've got two great guests for both of those teams lined up, so you don't want to miss it. Until then, you guys keep it locked right here on Locked on NFL Draft.